Welcome to The Resonance, the podcast about energy and sustainability from Alpha Energy Group, an Edison Energy Company. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Alpha Energy Group podcast. I'm Jeremy Nicholson, Corporate Affairs Officer for Alpha, and I'm joined for my catch-up on the European commodity market by my colleague Henry Homer, our Energy Risk Manager. Henry, just before we look a bit more to the future, uh, what's been happening recently in terms of availability of the French nuclear fleet, hydroelectricity that's so important. Uh, how are we standing on that at the moment? Good morning, Jeremy. Yes, let's kick off with a follow-up on the current markets. Overall, um, since our previous episodes, we've basically seen, again, a return to equilibrium. One of our previous episodes did touch on this in a bit more detail, but all in all, we are seeing much of the same parameters in the market, and by default, both the French nuclear and European hydro levels, uh, which go hand in hand with risk or possible risk we see in Q3, uh, remain basically in the status quo. So again, either with EDF's proposed ramped up for the second half this year, I'd prefer tangible data. And the tangible data still shows that we're still operating around 60-ish percent capacity at the moment, which is not great, but it has been alleviated by, again, the usual three pillars. So strong storage, mild weather, or good weather, some would argue, and robust LNG for now. And then on the other side of the pendulum, uh, weak demand continue to creep around Europe at the meantime. As for hydro, generally warmer weathers now are not really supportive. We're really seeing a, a sort of um, difference between the north and southern European markets at the moment as well, because we've seen a huge dip in hydro levels in, in Iberia, very significant dip there as well. Uh, but we're actually seeing increases in the Alpine region uh, and the Nordic region as well, supported by some rainfall over the past couple of weeks as well. So, but overall, I don't regard this as being game changing. So again, both France and hydro remain as is for the time being. So pretty neutral news overall. I guess on the plus side for this time of year, a lot of solar output, as you'd expect, and also the European wind fleet has picked up a bit in, in recent weeks, hasn't it, with higher levels of output and indeed, uh, momentarily at least, some, some negative pricing in one or two wholesale markets. Uh, but it's important to keep that in perspective, whilst it's great to see this amount of low carbon generation helping with the European supply situation and reducing fuel use and emissions. Um, it doesn't translate necessarily into lower bills for consumers. It's more the forward markets, isn't it, that's relevant there? Absolutely. And if we're talking energy risk management per se, indeed, where we're, we're, we're mostly looking at the, at the future forwards, even the month plus one will still be regarded as a forward market. You're really only going to see uh, renewable benefits on a significant level when you start dipping into the spot or day heads. But in general, yes, solar has improved, wind has improved, and it has allowed, uh, let's say, a certain softening um, in the future forwards market as well, alongside the spot market. But one thing to note here as well, uh, a reminder I like to always give when we speak about renewables is that renewables are intermittent. Again, we could see very, very good pricing on day one, but again, something happens in day two, you might see pricing again rebounding uh, almost as fast as they dipped as well. And also to support that, we're also seeing more of a range-bound market to begin with anyway. So the fundamentals of the market are still being dictated by supply and demand. It's being dictated by continued or persistent structural issues and weaknesses in Europe. 
but also the strong storage we have as well. So we do expect the markets could continue sort of bumping up and down within a certain percentage points. I usually sort of foresee this between 10 and 15% movements. I consider this fairly normal now in these markets. Again, you've got various supports, uh, as you mentioned, Jeremy, absolutely accurate with the stronger renewables with solar and wind. But at the same time, you're being countered by persistent weak French nuke. And all of these moving gears are basically causing this sort of range bound to sideways market we're seeing. Now, sideways is a dangerous word to use here. Just want to highlight that very, very quickly. I'm referring to a standardized volatility here. Now, we're not really seeing the huge ups and downs of 2022. We're basically seeing, again, range-bound markets within certain support and resistance levels. And that's really been the case uh, over the past, let's say, four to eight weeks. Right. And um, turning to the other side of that equation, you mentioned supply-demand situation. And we tend to focus a lot, for understandable reasons, on supply. But demand's equally important in the market. And the whole issue of demand destruction in Europe has, has come to the fore, hasn't it? And I, I was briefing a UK journalist on the subject of demand response the other day, trying to put the positive side of it. It's, you know, demand response, shifting load in response to prices in order to keep the average costs down. That's a good thing. But demand destruction, the permanent destruction of demand from, from industry, because you know, business can't carry on operating as before with the high prices. That's a real problem now, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. We did also touch on this briefly in the previous episode as well, but that's a good point to bring back. Yes, most of the conversations and arguments have been set, say, focused or spotlighted on supply, which is true. Again, that, that was most of the arguments throughout 2022. But demand is sort of the, let's say, unspoken part of this conundrum. And it's true. In order to have a boost in supply first and foremost you need to see where demand is and one of the reasons where i mentioned structural weaknesses in europe it also goes as far to this as well because if there's a structurally change demand market for energy supplies in europe then you start to see a trend or you start to form assumptions why the european markets have been behaving the way they've been so again, I mentioned a, let's say, range-bound market. Previous episodes touch on the plunge in TTF pricing as well. Yes, we went from 300 euros TTF, again, not, not even that long ago, less than a year ago, to around 35 dim. Now, uh, back in June, we had even the low 20s as well when it comes to TTF pricing. We haven't seen in a long, long time. Now, most of it, again, comes down to demand. So you're really having a, let's say, support measure by both industrial usage and household usage being significantly lower than what they were across the past averages. Now, this, is, this doesn't really come as a real surprise here because, again, we have been living in a high inflationary environment, not just from a financial standpoint, but from an energy standpoint as well. And that hits certain sectors quite hard, some harder than others. So again, just for the example I want to give uh, on this particular episode, let's take a look at the EU. So according to uh, the latest data, which again, uh, in front of me, I have from May 2023, we still don't have the June numbers. We still don't have the Q2 numbers. So I've got to caveat this, caveat this to our listeners uh, before May 2023. And then if you compare that particular country versus the 2019, to 21 average, the EU27 from an industrial standpoint is down 25%. 25% demand disruption here 
And again, I'm using natural gas demand for this example as well, just for full transparency to our listeners. Now, let's nitpick further down. Let's take Germany. Germany is always a famous case when it comes to demand drivers because it is the industrial heartland of Europe. It is the main industrial hub of Europe and it's the main economic hub of Europe as well. Now, Germany is down 28% when it comes to industry as well. Household, almost 40%, 39% according to the data from May 2023. Now, is this serious? Yes, it is. We talked about deindustrialization not too long ago. Just want to revisit that term. We've already seen, because we're basically in this new normal market, as some people like to call it, since COVID-19, we've seen TTF plunging all the way down on front month to the low four single digit, four euros-ish per bag an hour, up to 300, and then back down to 30. And that, that's a wide, wide range. A lot of industries can't support that as well. And a lot of industries were actually purchasing or using energy at very high costs. Now, there's also the fact that you have the council uh, adoption of, let's say, voluntary uh, reducement of natural gas consumption, currently set at around 15%, which has been extended as well. So all of these figures, plus, minus, times, divided by, you start to see a sort of situation forming in Europe, whereby industries start to question, are we really supposed to face this challenge here? Or, given recent changes in the wider global macroeconomics, i.e. Mr. Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, or in China, where it has been historically way cheaper to manufacture. I'm just using China and US as examples, of course, you do have manufacturing hubs elsewhere, but you start to see why it's become tempting for some companies, particularly large energy intensive users, to shift away. There's also the added stress of the EUA market as well. So companies operating in Europe for a long, long time had to coexist with an ever increasing uh, European Union emissions trading scheme as well. Uh, whereas other countries or other regions didn't have to cope with something like this. So it's already automatically making things a bit uncompetitive in Europe. But now with the high energy inflation, it's exacerbating that. Hence, you're starting to see this demand reduction. Now, I do not want to overstep boundaries here. Again, the data I still have is only showing a trend. My biggest question to, again, policymakers, even to our listeners, is this starting to revert to a more endangered structural trend only time will tell unfortunately so i'm really really interested in looking at q2 numbers when they do get published now we have q1 we have last year we have may as well but i don't think it's enough data to tell us that if this is concrete or not once we do have maybe then we can actually fully decipher what this new european normal looks like Indeed, and unfortunately, it doesn't look too optimistic at the moment, at least. You're absolutely right. Provisional figures don't tell the whole story. Maybe we'll see uh, slight revisions there, which won't look quite as depressing. But the sort of order of magnitude reductions in energy demand, if that was all down to energy efficiency, we'd be welcoming it. But as we know, it's partly due to reduced industrial production, which is another matter altogether. And I guess one of those, you know, the structural weakness uh, at the heart of all this, or one of them, is the reliance on imported LNG to balance the European gas market with uh, you know, indigenous production going down, the Groningen field um, about formally to close uh, as a big example of that. And how, how does the competition between Europe and, and the Asian market for marginal sources of LNG, how does that look at the moment? 
Um, we've seen Asian pricing picking up as well, so that, that, that's definitely drawing cargoes away from Europe. Throughout Q2, we even had uh, a scenario where there was an oversupply of energy, which was which was quite nice at the time, allowing that plunge as well. But again, when push comes to shove, both Europe and Asia are still preparing for the same winter cycle. It's not like we're competing with Australia, where you know you have a, a counter cycle, but again, Asia has the same winter cycle as us. Now it's being fully exacerbated again with a prolonged heat wave happening in China as well. Again, boosting need for cooling demand. So you now have higher cooling demand, which also relies on gas, uh, possible higher heating demand, which also relies on gas in Q4. It really showcases at the second half of this year, as we mentioned in past episodes too, really has the added uncertainty of this as well. Now again, we're not full into summer yet. There are warmer months to come and we're not full full into winter yet, which means there are colder months to come as well, which both could again add to the competition. So again, something that adds a little bit of bullish influence to the market. And we've seen what kind of uh, price uh, influences this can have um, even not too long ago. So just drawing back to a previous example, because of Europe's structural weakness, a change impact to its supply demand can have the potential to spike the market. We've seen that happen with the, let's say, maintenance of the uh, Norwegian gas pipelines as well, boosting pricing. Again, using the same 23 euro example, it went all the way close to 50 actually. So in fact, almost doubling in price throughout that time. So that wasn't too bad a news. That was, that was a pre-planned and almost expected kind of situation. I would probably pose another question. What would happen or what would a scenario or a bad scenario of a during Q4, what would that do to prices? If that LNG uh, maintenance caused a 50% price spike, what would a real bad situation in a harsh winter bring towards pricing? So again, those are the things we need to be aware of. Those are the things we need to mitigate. And those are the things we need to risk manage. Well, I think that's a good summary, Henry. A, a subject I'm uh, very keen to return to in due course as to how this relates to energy and climate policy generally for, for Europe. I don't think anyone uh, doubts we should be decarbonising, but the way in which we're doing it and whether we're keeping European business competitive during the process, I think that's a real issue. So thank you for explaining all that. I hope there's some more optimistic news about demand next time we speak. If you'd like to find out some more, have a look at our website, alphaenergygroup.com forward slash UK. And do listen out for a podcast again from us soon.